Welcome to today's episode of um, Floods of Justice, and uh, today I think we got a great conversation. I'm talking with my friend, Pastor Roger Russell, who pastors uh, Stones River Church in Murfreesboro, where he's been the pastor for 20 years, and um, he and I are discussing an article that he actually posted on Facebook. The article was by Dr. Thomas Rayner, who is with... um, Uh, churchanswers.com if you go there and the title of the article is the seven most common challenges for churches in the second wave of covid and so he and i are kind of in the same place not not by he i mean uh, pastor russell and myself we're in the same place and of of trying to figure out what does church look like uh, what i thought was post-pandemic but we're right in the middle of it and again you'll hear some of this repeated but um but anyway i think it's a great conversation and uh, whether you're a pastor or not uh i think you'll enjoy this so um enjoy if you have your bibles open them to amos chapter 5 and i want to read verse 24 where the prophet Amos says, I want to see a mighty flood of justice, justice, justice. The Floods of Justice podcast looks at the issues of our day from a biblical perspective without the labels. Led by Reverend Dr. Kevin Riggs, affectionately known as Pastor Kevin or Rev Kev, he is the senior pastor of Franklin Community Church and founder of Franklin Community Development in Franklin, Tennessee. He is also a published author, teacher, professor, activist, abolitionist, husband, father, grandfather, scuba diver, and coffee connoisseur, which is why this podcast is brought to you from the Coffee House at Second and Bridge in downtown Franklin. Let's begin the conversation. All right, well, good morning. It's so uh, good to be here, and I'm excited about this conversation today with my good friend, Pastor Roger Russell, um, he pastors the uh, Stones River Church in Murfreesboro, Tennessee, and he's been there for 20 years. And uh, I told him before we went live that this may just be a therapy session for the two of us. Uh, Absolutely. It sounds, like, it sounds like that we are in the same uh, situation. But let me just give a little bit of background about what happened. Um, of course, churches across the country were virtual for a long time. And uh, my church uh, was virtual for about 15 months. Uh, Pastor Rogers' church is still virtual. And, um, and so the decision, you know, to when to go back to church is, is really uh, up to the local context, I think. And we need to give each other grace uh, for that. Some churches started back early on and some churches are still um, virtual. But uh, I've been thinking a whole lot about what this church look like now uh, with the pandemic. I would say post-pandemic, but it's not post. We're still in the middle uh, of this. And so things are a lot different than they were in uh, March of um, 2020 when, when all of this started. And uh, I've been involved in a couple of conversations with different pastors about what this church looked like now and uh, what does it look like going forward. Um, and, um, and so the other day, uh, Pastor Rogers put something on Facebook or Pastor Russell, I'm sorry, Pastor Russell put uh, something on Facebook um, that caught my attention. And I thought maybe he had written it. Man, I was I was impressed with you, uh, Pastor. I thought you had written this, and I thought, man, alive. Um, but uh, it was actually written by uh, uh, Dr. Thomas uh, Rayner, who is he used to be with the Southern Baptist Convention, um, but now he's the founder and CEO of Church Answers and a website and a blog uh, is churchanswers.com if you're interested in that. But but the, uh, the article, the blog that he wrote was the seven most common challenges for churches in the second wave of COVID. And I just resonated with these. And so I got a hold of a Pastor Russell and said, man, we need to talk about this. Uh, let's get on. Let's do a podcast and talk about this. So 
before we get into it, Pastor Russell, welcome. Uh, take a few moments to introduce yourselves and uh, tell us what you're up to and, and maybe a brief background to you. Hey, good morning, everybody. First of all, and thank you, Dr. Riggs, for just uh, inviting me on to be a part of the podcast and the conversation. Look, I am, uh, of course, I am the son of Linda Mitchell. She's my mother, and I am all, uh, extremely grateful. She's the uh, part of the light, light of my life and a sense of joy of having a mother still around with us. Uh, I have been serving, uh, we're preaching since 21, serving the church in a senior role of, of, of pastor leader since 24. I've been one church, Stonebury Church in Murfreesboro, Tennessee for 20 years. Uh, I'm an American Baptist graduate. I'm a, plout, a proud alum of American Baptist College, uh, along with, uh, I am a, a man of God who just believes in, we can do justice and do the work of the gospel at any place at any time, and we should be doing that. But I'm just elated to be here because absolutely, when I read this article from Tom Rayner, I could not not post it. I had to post it. it I said, it, it, it resonated with me like it resonated with you, Dr. Dr. Rick, saying, this is what I'm going through. This is, this is my exact feelings and some of my great concerns. So I'm excited to have this type of conversation today. Hopefully it'll be a blessing to others as it is already been a blessing to me. And please, Dr. Reed, let this be a therapist test. I'm, I'm willing to lay down <laughs> on your couch. <laughs> All right. Well, I hope we can both be a little bit vulnerable and maybe we can share some personal experiences without airing dirty laundry, of course. But <laughs> yes, sir. <laughs> let people know the struggle. You know, the struggle is real. Pastoring ain't easy. And uh, it, it was challenging before uh, COVID. Um, but now uh, here we are. I mean, I, you know, for me, the last four years have been really, really tough in ministry. And then really just the last two years, year and a half or so with COVID just really added to that. And, and uh, you know, I can remember um, back in uh, February of 2020 when this started uh, coming up and, and, uh, and then the very first Sunday in March, the school, our church meets in a school and the school uh, told us that they were going to be closed over the weekend and we couldn't have service. And, um, and so I said, okay. And, uh, and we didn't have service. And at that point, we didn't have time to, to transition. They actually let me know on a Friday, you know, hey, you can't come in this weekend. And, uh, and then I was out of town um, uh, on a retreat. And then from there, my wife and I were going to take a quick vacation. And, uh, and then by the time that happened, um, man, I was out of town. And when I came back into Franklin, things were different. The churches were closed down. COVID was here. Businesses were shut down. And, uh, and we went into a 15-month period of, um, of, of doing virtual church. Always, when we tried to start back up a few times. We actually did. And, and one time we met for five weeks, but then had a COVID exposure and stopped. Uh, went back to virtual. And then a couple other times we tried to, to start meeting again. And, and usually things just worked out where we could not um, and, and did not want to because we didn't want to put people in danger. And then in, for us, back in June, we started meeting. And, um, you know, we were a small church to begin with. And, and probably about a third, only a third of the people are coming back. Um, and so it's like, wow. And, uh, and to be quite honest, during the pandemic, our tithes and offerings seem to be okay. But boy, since June, it's just like the bottom's falling out. Of, um, and I think this has really been tough on small churches. Um, and, and, uh, um, and, you know, the good news is that if you want to find good news, there's misery and company, right? Um, or there's, there's, uh, there's company and misery or whatever. We're all in this together. But it seems like across the board, for the most part, churches, regardless of size, yeah. when they start back up, it's a third to half of what they had uh, pre-pandemic. And that's, to me, that's really quite amazing. So if you're a church of 100 or you're a church of 10,000, 
uh, if you were virtual for a while and you started back up, the numbers uh, just aren't there and, uh, and they won't be. Now, for us, what was interesting is our ministry actually exploded during COVID because we did a lot of work with housing and homeless and, and kind of justice ministries. And uh, we're, man, we're as busy as ever and it's just exploded. But that Sunday morning, what to do on Sunday mornings or what does church look like um, I'm still struggling with. But anyway, that's just me. I could ramble on day about that. But just what it, kind of before we look at the article, just give me your heart. I mean, what are you struggling with? Um, you know, how is this affecting you? I start personally. I think um, if I, to be transparent and truthful and honest, we've had a very difficult four, four maybe four and a half years, maybe five. Uh, we were the church that had to make a transition with our facility as it relates to our relinquish it and selling it in order because we were using more money in the building, maintaining the building or mortgage than we are for ministry. Uh, we were having, um, already have a decline in finances and membership. And so we ended up selling facilities. So we had a, a, already a low of that and what it did to our congregational body. We lost probably half of our membership, even from that. And then two years later, trying to decide what to do, where to go, praying and making sure you could get over that type of social and communal injury. We, we ran into COVID-19, and that was also February of 2019. I've had some friends who have been part of the medical um, community and were letting me know, hey, there's something coming. We don't quite know what it, what it is. And I remember meeting with my leadership staff on, on, on by phone over a weekend and saying, hey, this is what I'm hearing coming. I'm nervous. What do y'all think? Have you heard anything? Of course, at that time, it was still fairly new. Mo most people wasn't you know, don't read a whole lot of uh, digesting journals, I, as I, <laughs> but I, I do. And um, they was, well, pastor, what do you think? And I said, I, they was saying, let's go back to church. And I said, no, I believe we need to shut down. Let's not come together this week. And we'll tell the members and we'll come back next week and see what's going on and how we can kind of pivot from there. And we haven't been back since that next week, COVID hit. Oh no. Uh, yeah, I think we got got interrupted. Yeah, yeah, I think we're back on now. <laughs> yeah, I think yeah, we'll keep going. I th it start talking about what flu was versus what flu was was not flu and the uh, symptoms of COVID. So it's just from then we've been we just been in a tailspin. Very similar to you, Doctor Riggs. Church, uh, I'm having struggles. Uh, I'm I'm battling as a pastor leader after 20 years of serving. I'm battling uh, not just protecting them spiritually, right, guiding spiritually having our understanding of conscience of doing social justice and working in, the, in, in this earth and understanding that that shall be a great resurrection day. But I'm conscious now of how to protect the body while here, right? Uh, and what does that mean to get in a communal church congregational space and understand that the spirit will protect your soul and God is, that's already covered through the blood of Jesus Christ, but your flesh still can die. And my responsibility to people's families and and, and, and then in particular, if you allow me to say it this way, Dr. Riggs, in the black church, our understanding of congregational uh, gathering is so high. <laughs> you know, that's how we understand God, that's how we understand Christ, how we do all things. It's in the physical place. We haven't always quite uh, developed to understand that the church, the individual, is separated from the physical building. And so with that type of... Um, Sometimes tension between that type of understanding, it creates a lot of internal problems within a congregational body. As a pastor, I'm struggling every week, day to day, hour to hour. I'm burying people. I am 
conscious of people getting sick. I'm on funerals and other of other people's other congregations because family members are, you know, connected to other congregational bodies. I had a, my own personal tragedies of two close loved ones that I know to pass away from COVID. So I have anxiety. I, I, there's this trauma in the mind of the of the Christian, but also in the mind of the preacher, pastor, who's having to, to engage his family, engage the congregation, congregation, and then bury people from COVID-19. This is not easy. Yeah, you know, I, I've been telling people that they need to come up with another diagnosis, uh, you know, PTSD, yeah. uh, but it would be pastoral trauma, stress disorder, um, because of, because of, uh, uh, just the hard work. Now, before we go any farther, because I don't, you know, th this could this could come across as a little depressing, but it, it's not. It's not meant to be. This is just, you know, there's a lot of churches, a lot of pastors going through this. You and I both agree uh, that uh, that Christ has started the church, and not even the gates of hell will prevail against it. And so, Absolutely. the church isn't going anywhere, and the church isn't dying. But really, what we're talking about is the the um, organizational structure of the church building and and the organizational structure of religion of uh, what does that look like or, or what's going on. So the church, the church, you know, until Christ returns for his body, the church will always be there. But what does that look like is really what we're talking about. And I think there's just a, uh, there's a change taking place on what does it mean to be the church and what does the church look like and how important is the building. The Bible tells us to not forsake the assembling of yourselves together. Um, and, uh, and God is relationship God. So we were meant for community Yes. And all of that is is true. But what does that look like? Uh, you know, the, the church that's that's consumed with buildings and programs and budgets, as opposed to now we're in this real life issue. Um, how, how does that look? But because we live in the West and we're products of our culture, you know, the world, in a sense, has 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 defined what success in church life is. And yes. success is is numbers and budgets and programs and buildings and all of that. And even though we know that that's not true, that pressure is still there. It's real. So, yeah. And so when you see, man, the, the offering is down or the, the you know, um, we need a new building or we don't have a place to meet and, and there are these expenses. Um, and um, but yet there are people who need help. Um, you know, so many people are hurting financially now for no fault of their own, you know, just because of COVID. And so what, how do, how do we shift? And that's kind of thing. Now, for me personally, I was thinking, man, the vaccine's here, just a matter of time. We can, you know, we're, we're still going to keep doing our ministries, but we can be back together again. Um, and then we come back together. And now here is the second surge. And that's really where this article comes into play. A lot of these things were going on with the first surge. But now with this second surge, just when we thought we were getting back on our feet, so to speak, now we've hit this again. And so, um, and so again, this is, this is a blog that was written by Thomas Rayner. You can find it at churchanswers.com and just uh, put in the most seven common challenges and it would probably come up. But it's when I checked this morning, it was still on the front page of his blog. Um, if you go to that website, this article was still on the front page. Um, and so I'm just going to read these. We'll do them one at a time and just, you know, talk about how to... <laughs> How does this apply to us, right? But it's about the, this is what's going on in churches right now uh, that is so hard for pastors to deal with. Because to be quite honest, I don't know about ABC's a great school, but I don't know if they prepared you for this. <laughs> you know, I, I don't know if anybody could. Uh, the things that we're experiencing today is is just um, you know I've been I've been a pastor for 32 years now, and and I you know there's no way I could have been prepared for. Uh, for what's going on right now uh, in our churches that's all related to COVID. So 
anyway, here was the first one. Um, that now with this second serve, the first, he said, common challenge for churches in this second wave is that there's greater polarization and divisions inside the church. And I think he's right. And it's not over doctrine. I mean, I can remember years ago when um, I brought drums into the church, you know, and people got upset or I come from a very conservative church um, where a lot, almost almost um, legalistic at times. And we would argue about uh, what people wear or how long a guy's hair was and, and all of that. Um, but it was, but even those arguments never reached the level of polarization that we have right now in the churches, mainly over masking and vaccines. And, and, and that, and divisions over something that, that is not even, it's not doctrinal. It's extremely important, but that, polarization I, i've just never seen anything like it before i was telling somebody the other day uh and and you know that basically if you wear a mask or don't wear a mask that automatically puts you in one political camp or another right and so you know if you wear a mask that means you're a democrat if you don't wear a mask that means you're a republican and and in the in the white culture uh, of evangelical churches you know you can't really be a christian and be a democrat and so and so i was telling somebody here, here's kind of how the argument goes right now if you wear a mask you're a Democrat, which means you kill babies. It's like, what? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean, all connected. Yeah. yeah, it's that polarization and there's no in between. So, I mean, and, and so that's, but anyway, what, how do you feel about that first one? Man, I, I, I absolutely, we're all dealing with it. I, I've had internal leaders of our church uh, talk about, oh, we don't need, a, it doesn't matter, Pastor, we can all get it. We all gonna get sick, but now we, this is a different type of sickness. This is not the common cold and we get sick and you can take a, 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 a flu and go home and miss a couple of days. Now, this is life-threatening. And the idea from a conscience that you could be asystematic. And, you know, uh, so for me, this is, this is a lot about our consciousness towards infectious disease. It's science and spirit, right? And some of, sometimes in our church, we are struggling, oh, the church of Jesus Christ, we're just struggling about understanding, you know, this kind of faith and flesh. You know, it's, it's I, I want to have faith and, and I do have faith that God will help allow us to prevail of all things. But I do believe God gives us common sense and science Science helps us to be able to logically piece things together to understand it. And so as we logically piece things together with this science consciousness, it just don't make sense for us to get in a congregation, especially when I have a, a, a higher demographic group in sense of age, they have some underlying health conditions, we got people with heart issues. We have people with diabetes and high blood pressure and all kidney uh, transplants. You can't put that population to, in, a, in a room, especially a, a church building that is an antiquated church building today because I think we don't also understand the difference between air quality and air control, right? Most of our buildings is air control, but it's not air quality. It's not filtering. It's not cleaning. It's not a, it's not a large enough system to to make it a healthy space just to breathe, <laughs> you know, just yeah. to breathe, to do what you need to do to be alive. And you put them in that scenario, and here we are. Yeah, and again, and it's just, to me, too, it's just really that polarization where there, there is no sense of, I can disagree with a person about this, and let's still be friends, let's still work together, let's still try to figure this out, let's still try to, um, you know, do what's best for the common good. It, yeah. It's it's just Boom is the, you know, and, and here locally in our county, I mean, we had a couple school board meetings that were really, really bad uh, over, over a piece of cloth, uh, you know, and, it, and it's like, you know what, 
um, taking care of the least of these, treating people the way I want to treat myself, putting the needs of other people before myself. All those things come into play as a Christian when I decide, you know, what, what to do. And then, and then on top of that, you start adding the science and, and all of that. And so this, this politicalization, this polarization and the politicizing of, these, of this virus is just, um, it's, it's beyond comprehension uh, how we've got to that point to where now it's dividing families and it's dividing churches, it's dividing friends. Um, and, it also, and it's dividing the body of Christ is, you know, back back in the day. And, and I'm not Church of Christ, but back in the day among the churches of Christ, you had what they would call piani and anti pianis, you know, pianos and anti pianos. Um, and now it's like it's, and, it, and it split the church, it, you know, and now it's like where the church is split over masking or not masking or, or vaccines and not vaccines. And it's just split the church. Um, and, and that is not pleasing uh, in God's eyes, we're in, we're in church history. It was the Christians who who would be of service and really helping people during these pandemics that were fought, that were very very deadly. Without the church, um, take without the church being involved, things would have been even worse. But now it's just like it's polarizing, and so he's right on about that. Number two, um, weariness <laughs> expanded. I'm preaching this Sunday from Galatians six nine. Do not be weary in doing good. So this. This really hit home. And, and what he says about this is he says, we are all tired. Church leaders particularly feel the exhaustion of dealing with so many issues. Both church leaders and members can get ornery. I'm, I'm, I'm guilty there and uh, critical as a consequence of their exhaustion. I mean, it is like no matter what I decide or what I do, Absolutely. half the people are going to be mad. Absolutely. You Absolutely. Know? I am I am facing that right now, Doctor Riggs. I have a I have a, a contingent of people in my congregation saying, "Pastor, we should have been back in. Look at the other churches open up." And I'm saying, "But their nucleus is not our nucleus. The people that they, that they're serving is not the people that I'm serving. They may not have a, a tier group that have this many underlying health conditions. And my leadership is older, and I don't. We don't have the resources to do all the things that. It, ultimately, be honest, it comes down to me." How do I help them in the door? How to help them out the door? I got to preach. What's the singing going to look like? Music, all of that alone. And that's before you even start to study, right? Yeah. Before you even got to try to deliver the message. And then how do you navigate getting people out of the facility? These type of internal debates within me, before we even get to the internal debate within the congregation, I'm honored with myself because some reason I, I am a, I am a traditional, traditional black Baptist preacher. I mean, there's nothing greater for me than to be in that congregational body. And I mean, preaching and call and response, Dr. Rigg. And I want to, I want to lean back and holler every, every now and then. That's just a part of the call and response and the culture of the black church that I absolutely love and I absolutely miss, but I can't, I'm concerned about having my own euphoric exp spiritual experience but putting people in jeopardy that could end their life. I don't know how I could live with me if a member or family member of a, of a congregational person or a community person who's just visiting comes to our church, contracts COVID-19 and dies. Yeah. I don't know what I would do. I don't know what it would do to my, my own mind. I don't know how I could recover or forgive myself. And that is part of my internal struggle. And I'm exhausted. I, I mean, the end of last year, I needed about, I took about six, about five or six weeks just to almost try to do nothing because I was exhausted. Yeah. 
I'm trying to learn to tape and be a digital promoter. And, and man, it was overwhelming. And and I had members say, oh, Pastor, you're just preaching. Where have you been at? Because I don't know what you're talking about. I'm counseling every, still counseling every day, more people, right? Yeah. I'm dealing with people's financial concerns. I'm dealing with death. I'm dealing with trying to study, preach, be a, uh, 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 now what do you call it? Uh, a, a, a digital and community in, in, uh, in, uh, what yeah. is, uh, engagement and this. I didn't know how to operate all these digital, uh, things. I had to learn. I mean, preach I to a circle. <laughs> I know this is, Nobody it, look. Oh man. It, it, it's crazy. It's crazy. And, and those of us, you know, again, this is a therapy session just for the two of us that, that everybody <laughs> else is getting the privilege to see. Um, but like this just came to my mind. I can remember years ago, years, years ago, when I brought in a, a video projector inside oh. the church um, so that we could show the um, lyrics, you know, get rid of the hymn books and show the lyrics on the screen. And, and, you know, I'm a teacher at heart. And so I have a hard time preaching without PowerPoint. You know, I got, I got to, you know, you got to, that's just, that's just the way I am maybe over the top. And so now I could, I could do PowerPoints and all. And I remember, you know, people, you know, that being upset that not a lot of people, but some people being upset that we brought this technology in. And now we've gone from that to where people are expecting the, <laughs> the pastor to be this technical, technological guru yeah. to know how to live stream and to know how to uh, do it. Now, you know, I know of churches who have spent hundreds of thousands of dollars on making sure they have quality of air. You know, they, they've gone in and redone. Well, I can't do that. And we then have the budget. Yeah. And then they've spent hundreds of thousands of dollars so that they can have a, a recording um, that that is top notch. And I'm like, well, no, mine was a single camera cell phone just looking at me and in, in, in my in my room where you see me now. Uh, you know, and how in the how and and how in the world, you know, so this it's just it's just exhausting. And then hearing all the bickering um, going back and forth every day um, uh, about all this, it, it, it's just it's just weariness. And that really led to the third one, which is decision fatigue, which I think is what you were really talking about. Yeah. There are decisions that we have to make. Um, you know, we have a community center. Um, and part of our, the ministry of the community center is a bus stop where kids in the neighborhood would come and catch the bus in the morning. And we didn't do that at all last year. Uh, and then we tried to start it back this year. Um, and then uh, there was some COVID exposure. So we stopped. And, and it's almost like if, if, you, if you don't stop it, people are upset. And then if you stop it, people are upset. And no matter what you do, again, no matter what you do, half the people um, are going to be uh, uh, upset with you. And, um, and then you, you know, and then basically what happens is what do you do in that situation? You end up going internally. And if I'm going to make half the people upset with me anyway, then I'm going to do what I think is, uh, is the best thing to do. And then that's, that becomes weary. And then you made a decision and then people will leave the church, um, uh, or not come back to the church in our case. I know you guys haven't gone back, uh, yet, but, um, you know, and it's and in my in my little church, I got people who they're not going to wear a mask and they're not going to get vaccine no matter what. Absolutely. And then I got other people who they're afraid to leave the house without a, a, a full set of armor. <laughs> on, <you know>. Absolutely. <laughs> and, so, and so in the larger churches, I don't see I'm thinking, man, if I got to deal with that on my numbers, just that's exasperated in the large church. But and I don't, it seems like that, at least in our culture, in our area. Uh, the larger churches are more anti-mask um, than uh, uh, 
you know, and so they, they've made their decision and they're, and they're going with it. And, uh, you know, God bless them to God be the glory, but it's like, man, that's not, that's not my, that's not where I am. That's, and that's not the people who I'm trying to, uh, to deal. And then for us, on top of that, you add in the school. And so, you know, we have, we, we need to do what the school wants us to do uh, on top of that. So yeah, I'm in, like you just exhausted of trying to make decisions every day. Dr. Reeves, I, like I said earlier, I'm in the same situation. We, we were renting a facility to have church. So I have to, I have to ask, is, is that facility that we're utilizing, are they cleaning the facility? Because we don't have, that's not our responsibility per se, but are they cleaning that building properly? Are they using the right type of chemicals to kill any type of infectious pathogens? And, you know, I don't say I don't have that control. Then do you put your people in a place that you can't control the narrative of what's going on around, you know, the story around cleaning? Uh, on top of that is that, you know, our understanding of budget and building limitations, you know, how many people can fit in versus how many can, spacing and, I, man, you, you, it's, 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 over, it's overwhelming, let alone you have misinformed membership, right? Um, I, I, I said one day, and I, and I said it, and you're talking about being an honorary, my, one of my Facebook posts was an honorary post. I wasn't necessarily trying to injure anybody, but I was, it was my frustration. I vented it this way. I said, what does intellect have to have in common with those who are ignorant, right? Those who are not reading and those who are not exposing themselves to information and, and knowing, not, not looking at somebody's tweets, not listening to somebody, what they say, but you sitting down, reading for yourself, to arm yourself as an individual for your family, for your church, for your community, for the, for the, for the people at, at large. Like, if you're not individually doing that, that's always going to be ignorance and intellectuals, right? Yeah. And that's our struggle because here we are. I hope to be an intellectual. Sometimes I'm just as ignorant as anybody else. But I hope to be a re I'm trying to be a reader and, and arm myself with information so as a leader, I can make the best decision for us. And then it's like when people they attack you because you, you bring information, they say, well, I don't care about it. I just got faith. Faith is not going to overcome COVID-19. It is a disease. It is an infection. And so, you know, I, I've been saying with some other pastor friends of mine, I said, brother, you know, I said, I, I use that term, ignorant versus um, uh, intellect. I said, the scripture just says it another way, light versus darkness. Yeah. Love versus hate, <laughs> you know. I said that's just a parallel, uh, practical way of saying it. But I was being honored, Doctor Reed. I mean, just so I, oh, I, I know. I, trust okay. me, I've, I've I've been there, and you know, I had a the last podcast we did. I had a friend of mine who's a medical doctor, and and she specializes in infectious disease. She's really over the University of Kentucky. She teaches there, and she's the top in fact one of the top infectious disease doctors in wow. in Kentucky. And I, I asked her, how frustrating must it be that you've gone to all of this schooling, you've dedicated your life to studying infectious disease, you've gone to all of this schooling, and then somebody Googles something on about it, and, and they disagree with you, and they, and they think they're, at, you know, they're not going to listen to you, they're going to listen to, or in my wow. case, I, I didn't mention his name, but, you know, we got a pastor in Middle Tennessee who's gone off the rails with, you know, if, if you come to my church with a mask and you're going to get kicked out and all of that. And it's like, and so they're going to listen. You spent all this year studying and researching, and they're going to listen to him over over you when it comes to uh, to what is best. And I, I know for me, it'd be, it'd be frustrating because I'm sure you've had it where you've had um, and it, you've had church members who who they've had no they've had no study in in the theology and Bible, but then they want to tell you, you know. <laughs> 
where you're Absolutely. wrong and, it, and, <laughs> and how frustrating that can get, you know, because wait a minute, I've spent my life studying this and, yeah. and you, you know, you pulled something up on Facebook. Um, and it's just, it's just mad, but those decisions that we, that, that fatigue and, and I have felt it. I have, I have been uh, more tired, uh, more exhausted. Um, and then as a result, then you end up not taking care of yourself physically. And then it just, you know, it, it just, it just escalates. And so number four uh, is to me, you know, all these were relevant, but number four is with this second wave, hopelessness is more pervasive because there was this sense with the first round that eventually this will be over. Right. And like I said, I was feeling that, oh good, the vaccine's coming out. Uh, this is going to be over. We can return to some type of normalcy. Uh, and then boom, here we are. You know, the, the one thing that pulls me out of this is what little bit of studying I've done about the, er, the early 1900s, that pandemic uh, was that it lasted three years. Yeah. It lasted three years. And so, you know, we're a year and a half into what could be three or four years. And so, you know, okay, we're in this for the long haul now. Um, but, um, but I know a lot of people, you know, they lost hope. And so mental illness is on the rise, suicides are on the rise, uh, because people, you know, people have, have just lost hope. Yeah. Absolutely. I, I tell you what I, what I, what I've been sensing as well, like you said, the, the, the blessing, the burden is that we seem to be re-engaged back almost a start over. Cause I think this Delta variant made it feel like we just started over like this. It was, a, it was like the game, sorry, start over. You know, you had to go back to start. But the renewed commitment to Christ-centered preaching I've been witnessing. And that's part of my, I guess, as a, as a Christian, my hope and I'm excited about. We've, we've that, that prosperity gospel has been kicked to the left. <laughs> and that this idea of back Christ and Bible-centered preaching is back on the right, and I'm excited. So COVID to me has brought a sense of human hopelessness, but it made us individually uh, understand that we can't sustain ourselves, that we need a God and we have a Christ who has sustained us, is sustaining us, and helps me. I tell you what, what's been my blessing is reaffirm my high view of Christ, this high Christological perspective that I am nobody. Right, I, I'm really am a grain of sand, but yet the God's love and His grace and His mercy towards me, day to day, I'm I'm a weeping Jeremiah lamentation. I'm feeling this new sense of faithfulness, God's grace upon my life. I haven't caught COVID. I, I'll be on the record. I haven't got COVID. I'm on the record of I'm, I am vaccinated, but I know I'm around people that's. COVID. I'm going in the stores. I'm I'm having to still go out. I'm having to re-engage in, in the world and the community. But grace be to God. Grace from the Lord. I, I haven't been sick. And I'm saying this is not because of my doing. I, I Ain't no way I'm not around people with COVID. Ain't no way I'm not engaging. Ain't no way I'm not touching things that may have been um, had COVID strains and disease and illness upon it. That's no way. But I am, I'm a prayer. It's my recommitment to my a prayer life daily, throughout the day. It ain't just a morning and the evening. It's throughout the day. Lord, keep me safe by going to this facility. I'm talking more to God than I ever have. And it's just simply about, Lord, just it show me your grace. I don't deserve it, but just show it to me. So this sustained hope, I'm sustained by my hope in Christ. And that's what's been helping me to come out of that mental fog and stress. Dr. Reed, I think as pastors, but also individuals in the community, have been engaged with you talking about suicide and 
alcoholism is on the rise, sexual immorality, people are trying to engage just in loose sex behavior because they need some type of release and you know, drug use is up. So this has helped me have a renewed commitment to Christ and what he's done for me and helped me have a high view of Jesus. So I, I'm blessed and I'm struggling at the same time. <laughs> yeah, well, that, no, that's a good word that really, you know, we should be people of hope um, even, in, even in this situation. Um, you know, I, I did have COVID. Uh, my wife thinks I got it at a food distribution I was at. Um, and, uh, but I was wearing a mask and all that, but still got it. Um, had a rough 11 days, um, uh, you know, battle with it. I got over it pretty quick once, once it finally did leave and, and uh, have, have continued to try to take better care of myself. But, um, you know, but my wife took care of me and then she never had the first symptoms. So it's like, this is an odd, I tell people this, the thing, the worst thing about this disease, obviously, is people dying. I mean, that's the worst. Right up there is that they were having to die alone in the hospital. They couldn't have their family with them. But then outside of that is this, no one knows, you, you do not know how this virus is going to affect you wow. until you get it. And yeah. so you might get it and it's just asymptomatic. Somebody else gets it and they die. It's like there's no, and there seems to be no rhyme or reason uh, how it affects, um, you know, how it affects people. And, that, and that's really what makes it a little bit scary is, you know, you can predict, you know, if you get a stomach virus, you can predict, you know what, 24 hours from now, you're going to be better. You know, yeah. and the stomach virus kind of affects everybody the same way, you know, 24 hour stomach bug is gone. But this is like, you know, you, you don't know. And I've, I've got a friend in Michigan who, who is a long-termer he's had it and it's been months and he's still struggling with, yes. uh, with issues uh, of it, you know? And so it's just, it's just an odd, odd, odd thing. And so I, I can see how people feel hopeless um, in the middle of this, but at the same time, we are to be people of hope. And, um, and you know what, I'll still go to a food distribution. I'm still going to help people. I'm going to, uh, I'm not going to tempt fate. You know, I'm going to, I'm, I'm vaccinated. I'll, I'll get a booster when it's available. Um, you know, I'll wear my mask. I'll social distance when I can, um, and all of that. Um, but you know, the people have needs that need to be met and I'm going to, you know, I want to take, I'm going to do what I can do, be smart about it. But then ultimately, yeah, you know, this is trust God, not trust God to protect me. And I'm going to be an idiot. Not that at all, but do what I can um, follow, follow doctor's advices. And uh, um, and then but still, you know, still still try to preach the gospel and live out the gospel uh, the best way I can. So, yeah, if you're out there and you're listening to this and you're hopeless, please reach out to me or or Pastor Russell or somebody because there is hope in Christ. And in the words of Mother Teresa, my favorite quote from Mother Teresa, you never know Jesus is all you need until Jesus is all you got. <laughs> so once everything is stripped away. Have mercy. There, yeah, there, there is Jesus. We need a call and response, right? Let's, let's yes, have sir. first, right? I had to give you one. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to give you one, but I'm white and I don't know how to do that. So I just let you keep going. Just lean in and say, yes, sir. <laughs> All right, num number five, and this is, we've talked about this already, really, this confusion about the path forward, you know, what do you do? I told you, you know, we, we may be going back to virtual. I think there's a high likelihood of that at some point. Um, you, you were going to go back to live, but then decided not to. Now you're, you're still virtual for a few more weeks. Uh, and then when you go back to live, do you start right up with the children's ministries? Do you have your praise team? You know, are you going to have a lot of small groups? goodness gracious, dinner on the grounds, <laughs> you know, and what, what does that look like? I mean, how, it's just, 
this what is the path forward is um, and there and there's confusion and then you hear different opinions from all kinds of uh, all kinds of sources and so um, you know he, he said in, in that one near the end of that number five he said but church leaders today wonder if any stability is on the horizon and I'm like yep that's right stability that's what we don't have um, and we're just not sure what to do next but anyway go on Man, I think I think Dr. Riz what what really blessed me with this this part and made me think was, you know, we keep using this term new norm, right? This is the new norm. But we say it, but we don't always believe it. How we practice our living and day-to-day -day going, we're not trying to infuse this new norm into it, whether that's masking up, uh, whether it's continue to practice the social distance what that means to reimagine what church look like and feel like physically online. Is it hybrid? What do we do? Uh, it's, it's so much that, that I think it involves this idea of new norm. You know, you talked earlier when you talk about reimagine, we're talking about how churches uh, kind of used to break up over doctrine. I think one is we call that reformation, right? That's a, it's, we, I think that's part of what we're seeing. It's a reformation, but a different type of reformation. Not reformation just solely on doctrinal position and stand. We're just exchanging that word with reimagining. That's all it is. So with the COVID being on the rise and probably most likely going to always be here, we hope to minimize this effect upon, you know, uh, upon human carriers of the COVID. Because I think people need to also realize that COVID-19 didn't just pop up. COVID virus always been in our space. It just attached to animals other animal species, not to humanity. And so when you, when you know that to be part of COVID, has been here, but this new norm, but you know what, what I, I'm also struggling with, and, and I think we see it in the rural America, especially in Tennessee, in the South, uh, in, a, in a Williamson County, in a Rutherford County, is this Western civilization idea of elitist mentality mi mixed with a narcissistic behavior. I think we, we, we got to we got to realize that's a part of the American, the Western American church is that we are narcissistic on some levels. We are elitists in our idea and our Western culture feel like we can overcome anything. We the West, we beat everything and everybody at any time. You, we don't, you don't do what we tell you, we bomb you. You don't, we, you don't like what we do, we invade you and we win. We, and so that's been a part of the ingrainness of the mind of the American and then the American Christian, right? The American community person. That's ingrained into our thought process. We feel like nothing can defeat us. And so we look at all oh, COVID-19 is going to be over. We shall win it just by continuing living. No, you can continue to die if you don't be responsible. And then I think it's part of this idea of American, America is about individualism, the American culture, individualism, and then especially that meism, right? That is very rampant among us. Well, this COVID-19 response got to be an Eastern culture perspective. It got to be communal. Mm. It has to be everybody doing what they can do and doing their part to help keep each and everybody safe. It ain't just about you. It's about me wearing my mask. I keep telling about it's a social justice issue for me. I'm wearing my mask because I could get you sick, not just me keeping me protected, but I could get you sick because I can be asystematic. I need to take on a communal response. I got to love my neighbor as I love myself. I want to live, but I also want you to live. And so it's that piece for me, man. When I was looking at this and thinking about it, I said, it's that elitist, it's that narcissistic behavior of a Western culture that has invaded the Western church. I often tell people that I think sometimes the American church cross is not covered with blood, it's covered with cash because it's all about me and I can brand and promote myself. 
We ha it's, that's happening with COVID. I, I don't care what happened to you because I'm okay. This is what I want. No, no, it's, it's us. It's, so we have just relinquished Christian responsibility one to another. We are Christian first to me before I'm American, before I'm Christian first. When I get to my, my, my hope because I'm being covered by Christ through his blood and I've been saved and been redeemed, I'm not going to, to the eternal abode as an American. I'm going as a, a heavenly citizen, a kingdom citizen. You know, I'm not, I'm not going to have no flag up there. Yeah, you know, this is not original with me, but the, the question we all have to ask ourselves is, are you a Christian living in America or are you an American Christian? Have mercy. And, uh, and that, you know, and we have lost that sense of common good. What is best for the community? And, and we haven't, and we need to realize, you know, those of us who believe the Bible, that what the Bible teaches is community from Genesis to Revelation. Absolutely. The, the Hebrew, the Jewish religion is an Eastern religion yes, uh, where it's not about you. It's about the community. Yes, um, the individualism that has pervaded our society is a part of the industrial revolution, really yes, back in its history. And now it's all about me uh, and mine. And, uh, and don't you tell me what to do. Um, and, uh, and so it goes back obviously to American exceptionalism and then even the white supremacy structure that our country was built on and, and still at the systemic level um, follows. And, um, and, and so all of, all of that is intertwined and, you know, and follow the cash. I mean, it's, it, that's basically um, the bottom line. Capitalism is our God. Um, and, um, and so much so that we think that the Bible teaches capitalism. Yeah. Um, and uh, <laughs> instead of just, it's an economic, it's an economic system created by man. So it has its flaws. Um, and, uh, and like everything else, this, this uh, pandemic has hurt the least of these more uh, more than any anyone else, you know, because um, if, if, if you're, you know, when I had COVID, I was really surprised because I have some underlying conditions. And so I really thought the doctor and then when I called my own medical doctor, my own practitioner, that they would hurry up and get me uh, different kind of help than anybody else. But it was like, go home, take aspirin. Best of luck. I mean, <laughs> that was yeah. it. But I know now now they're offering everybody these antibodies. I can't remember the name of it, but you can go you can go get. But in the early days of this, it was really only the wealthy who could get that extra treatment. Everybody else was go home. Uh, you're on your own, your own. And, uh, um, you know, my 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 advice was go home, take this, take this aspirin to prevent blood clots. And if you get worse, go to the hospital. That was it. And I was like, well, what do you mean that you don't have anything else you can you know, offer? You yeah. can offer me is you just want me to go home and best of luck. Um, but so, so yeah, so that's really, that's really good. What, what you just said. And I think, yeah, all these are intertwined where we are, we're in the position we are in because of this ingrained individualism. Um, my needs and my rights are more important than the other person's. Uh, when the Bible teaches the exact opposite, the, the Jesus's life teaches the exact, you know, teaches the exact opposite. Um, that you care for the other person and you put the other person's needs uh, ahead of your own. Now, number six, I'll let you deal with because our church is involved in the denomination, but I've been detached from my denomination for a while. Um, but number six was denominational structures uh, are destabilizing more so in, in this. And so, you know, um, I don't really know how to address that because I, I haven't really been in, uh, involved in our denomination uh, for a while. Uh, but anyway, I don't know where you are in your denomination and, and what's going on there. 
We are. We we are, we are part of the denominational structure. Of course, uh, my church is historically a primitive Baptist church uh, in doctrine. Uh, we have a local um, assembly of, of churches who come together, which we call an associational group. We have a state group. We have a regional group. Well, we have a, what we call a tri-state, which is Tennessee, Alabama, Mississippi. Then we have a regional, which is Southern region. Then we have a national body. So we have multiple tiers. Uh, and what what we what we're facing, and I like like the question that uh, the answer that Tom gives, or the question and thought. At every level, there's a struggle with what to do next, right? Because most of these tiers really just ask for money to support their ideas, right? And so the they all are pulling from one source and that's the local church and the local church is pulling from one source. That's the membership and the uh, benevolent donations of a community towards this local, this local congregation. But if the local congregation has lost funding, right? People are not tied we're not going to church. People give better when they're at church rather than being online. Right? Uh, so if all of these other spaces are, are pulling from that one spot, and that spot don't have as much as it used to in this reservoir, right, in his bank accounts, then there's a falling apart of these nomination structures. I believe, like we talked about a little earlier about this reformation reimagined, this is a reformation even of denominations. We have to get back where the emphasis is back to the local church and strengthen it. If you want a denominational strength, you gotta, the local church gotta be strong. But if the local church is, is continue to be weakened, by lack of development and true discipleship and uh, investing back down versus just investing up, you're going to have problems. So I think our denominations need leadership, right? I think it, it means calling others to an inclusive table of leadership rather than just to select few. Right now, all of us are struggling with digital divide. If you don't have a young person on your staff, something's wrong. You, 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 they, they've been using social media and TikTok. They're making all type of fancy videos with a phone. We are not used to that. These children coming to this existence already using this thing at one, two years old. We're, we're kind of backtracking, trying to figure out, you know, we still got people saying, what's Facebook, right? I had some members at the Digital Divide, Pastor, when, when the COVID first happened and was saying, I'm not getting on Facebook. And I'm saying, well, that's the only way I can, the means beta Get the message to you. I'm not getting a Facebook account. I, I don't want it. I can't help you. If, if you don't know that the world is being operated and run through digital means and your stubbornness keeps you from hearing the gospel because you're saying they gossip on Facebook, all you got to do is not, not click it. That's your prerogative. That, <laughs> that's, that's the power you have. You got you to write to click it and listen or pass it up. The less you click crazy things like that, the less it shows up on your feed. But you don't yeah. know algorithm because you're unwilling to get on <laughs> Facebook and use yeah. the internet, right? And of course, you know, we're we're showing our we're showing our own age and the fact that the young people today they ain't on Facebook. They they no, move on to something. <laughs> they on Instagram and TikTok and all yeah. and, and all yeah. type of stuff, right? Yeah. But, yeah. So how how are we gonna how are we gonna reach them if all we're doing is Facebook, right? They, absolutely. They they moved on to Facebook is for old people. That's what I've heard, you know, like, they oh. tell me that all the time. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, this last one then of, of his seven, um, a major person, major personnel shift in churches. And, um, we you know with the first wave of COVID, we saw many churches reduce personnel costs. The second wave seems to be ushering in a new era where church leaders must rethink everything about both full-time and part-time staff. The era of bivocational and co-vocational ministry has, has arrived rapidly. 
and uh, there will not likely be a new normal anytime soon, if ever. Now, just I don't want to throw this out. I don't want to make this all about race, but Thomas Rainer is a white guy. Um, I'm a white guy. Um, there have been times in my ministry when I've been bivocational, but that's really been by choice. You know, I wanted to teach school and those kind of things. Uh, I, I believe wholeheartedly that Thomas is right, that the wave of the future is bivocational ministry. I believe that with all of my heart. But in the black context, um, that is not anything new. Bivocational ministry has what has kept the black churches really uh, has kept the pastors employed really from that. And so if anything, we need Thomas included, we need to submit ourselves to the black church. And I think we can learn um, how to effectively do bivocational ministry because you guys have been doing it for you. I don't know what your situation is. I'm just talking about overall. I know that there's lots and lots of African-American pastors who are bivocational. And, um, and that, that number seven, at least from my perspective, that's not anything, that's not a new thing in the black community. That, that, this is a new thing in the white community, mainly among large churches where people were getting laid off. Um, and now I think what he's getting at is in this, that first wave, larger churches were having to lay off personnel. Now in this second wave, the pastor's going to have to get laid off or he's going to have to go get a job. And that's going to be a huge paradigm shift in the, in the white evangelical mindset. Pastor, I tell you this, uh, in my 19 years, 19 and a half years of pastoring, I've probably, I, I've lived in both dichotomies. I've lived in both sides. I've been full-time, and over the last few years, I've been bivocational because of budget cuts and, and, and less for money, uh, having to make that decision to do such. So I understand both sides of it. I've been privileged in, in the sense of being able to be afforded through a church budget to have me full-time, and then it's now I've been bivocational. I think, that as Rainer said, this is the new norm. I've been sharing with some of my pastor friends who are bivocational, some who still are full-time. I keep telling them that churches in the near future are going to look at the pastor's salary and say, we can't afford it. Not that we don't love you. We we just can't. We, we, we don't have it to give to one source. And if a pastor has not prepared him or herself to do some things outside of of the preaching uh, and the full, I guess, full-time ministry of the church, we're going to, it's, it's going to cause a great, great chasm and probably cause some pastors to, to be bruised uh, through this as well. Cause you, what, what do you mean you can We need to cut other things, right? But if the pastor's going to have the ministry at heart, he or she's going to have to make some, um, some, some cuts and some, uh, some different decisions to be able to support the whole work of the cross and the whole work of the ministry. But I, but I believe you're right, and Tom is right, as, as we talk about what it means to be bi, be bivocational. Black churches, most of them have always been bivocational. However, uh, salaries are going to be reduced, if not cut in half, if not sometimes lost altogether. Yeah. It's going to be a major difference. Yeah, now the times that I have spent bivocational, I, th there's, there's, to me, there's two incredible strengths of bivocational ministry. One is that it keeps you, keeps one foot in the world, you know, so you're not, it's just not all about church seven days a week, 24 hours a day. Uh, you know, it, it forces you to rub shoulders um, with, um, with people who don't agree with you and all that. Uh, and that's healthy. That's very healthy. The second thing, at least has been my experience is if I had a really, really bad day on Sunday and the church wasn't doing well, I really had to put that aside because I had to go to work Monday and it really got my mind off of me and my problems, you know? And so in, in a sense, bivocational ministry can create longevity of ministry because um, the, there's more to your life than just 
the church because you've got a job to do. You got you got other responsibilities and and so in a sense, the best thing after a bad day on Sunday, the best thing that could happen would be to get up and go to work. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh and and get your mind off of what happened, you know, that previous day. And then by that following Sunday, you're you're ready to go again, so to speak. Um, and so now there's weaknesses also, there's strength and weaknesses both. But from my experience, the two strengths of being bivocational was that rubbing shoulders with non-church people, um, and um, and then the the ability to be able to switch your mind and get your mind on other things besides um, what was going on at church, at least uh, temporarily. Because in full-time, if you're full-time, um, then, you know, it, it's 24 hours a day, seven days a week, um, all about the church. Um, and that's all you think about. And, um, and then that can become, that can become unhealthy uh, after a while. So to me, that's, that's a positive. I do think, I was just talking to somebody the other day. I do think the way of the future because of the pandemic is, a return back to smaller community-oriented churches, and yes. and a, and, a re, and a getting away from um, the mega church. You know, we've been in a mega church culture for about twenty-five plus years, um, where um, you know the mega church is just sucking the life out of smaller churches. And now I think there's a, I mean, if you want to go to church and you want a social distance, come to my church because we we got a few people and we're in a gymnasium. I mean, you you. <laughs> you're not going to be, you can make it where you're not near anybody if, if you want to be, you know, it's not a, it's not a cramped situation. So I think, and I think also in that small church setting, people know each other. Um, and so in a sense, they kind of almost becomes a family. Uh, and then, and then that helps with the idea of, of, um, of COVID, of COVID spreading, because you know, these people, you live with them, you do life with them. And, and so I think, I think there is some merits to a, a return back to the smaller church community church aspect um, and the bivocational ministry. I say this, Dr. Riggs, uh, <clears throat> you talked about the blessing of being bi bivocational. I think that that's one of the things that I learned is that I was, and I want to say early, I started pastoring at 24, probably by age 25 and a half, 26, I became full-time pastor. And so much of all of my, the rest of my twenties, much of my thirties, I was just engaged in church. Like you said, seven days a week, I ate, breathed, slept church. It created sometimes an unbalanced perspective of pastoring because I was doing this every day. I almost had an expectation anybody else to do it every day, but they were going to work. They had family. They had all the other things that they had to splinter their time with. And I was like, "Hey, why? Why you can't get here? We, you know, most time they spend that day working, and I'm at the church working, getting things together. I'm like, come on, come on. They come in. I'm like a whirlwind dropping nuggets, and you know. But I've had 10, 10 12 hours to think this through. And I'm saying, why are you not getting it? Hurry up. Come on, come on, come on. And it created really a unbound. I was pulling people rather than walking with them. Yeah. Because I was always so ahead of them in ideas. Yeah. And, that, and that's, again, that's the strength. I think what you're getting at, I know if, if you're bivo, if you've never been a bivocational bi pastor, when you become a bivocational bi pastor, you realize the demand um, that you are making on your church people yes. to work 40, 45, 50 hours a week come to come to Sunday morning, back in the day, Sunday night, visitation, Saturday, uh, Wednesday night service, um, you know, and for you, you're there every day, so it's not a big deal, but once you become bivocational, you realize, man, I've put in 40 hours of work this week, and now I got to get ready for Sunday, um, you know, and, uh, and it really makes you understand what people are going through, so that's one of the benefits, uh, I think, of that, so. All right. Well, well, man, it's good to have you now. Now, put you on the spot. Give us a word of a, some type of hope 
of, uh, of, you know, in spite of all of this, you know, Jesus got up on Sunday morning. All right. Uh, so, yeah, leave us with something positive and uplifting, man. I, I would share Dr. Riggs with those who are listening, call us on um, Facebook and as well as those who will be a part of the podcast. I would share, share with this that you have the old church would say when I was young that you got to keep your eyes on Jesus. Right. Uh, in the in the gospel, we find Peter had to walked out on water and the, the great mistake that he made after the miracle of walking on water with Christ, he took his eyes off. And he began to sink. He began to look at the circumstances, all the things that were going on around him and the wind blowing and the waves beating against he and Jesus on the, on the water and against the boat that the other disciples were in. And he just stopped looking and started looking at his circumstances. I would say in COVID-19 era of living and in this pandemic perspective of life of the church, we cannot look at the great winds only of COVID-19. No, we got to keep mindful of them that they are real. We have to keep our minds focused and stayed on Jesus Christ and what his word says about this, that we are overcomer and that we will overcome by the blood of the lamb and our testimony. That's going to be a great testimony that comes out of this of how we're able to get over this, move through it and share to other Christians and that's going to come alongside later and say, hey, if the Lord has saw us through this, there's nothing we can't that we can't face and overcome because of Christ and the work that he's done on Calvary. Not what we did as doctors and as scientists, not even what the vaccine has done for us. And all of those things are, to me, a part of the uh, ingenuity of God's uh, knowledge and wisdom upon us. But, hey, we've made it safely this far because that pillar, a pillar fire and cloud by day and pillar fire by night. We've been keeping our minds focused on God. Moses focused on him. Christ looked up, focused on him. We need to look up and focus on him. And I think we'll make it through. That's, the, that's my hope. I'm keeping Christ at the head and the center of my life. And I, and I know I'll make it. Through. All right, man. That, that's a good word. That's a good place to end. Uh, <laughs> nothing, nothing's going to defeat the church, right? Uh, we may be down, but we're not out. And, mercy. Um, yeah. And so God is still sovereign and Jesus is our only hope. So, and thanks a lot, man, for joining us. Thank you guys for listening. And uh, if you got any comments, you got anything you want to say, just get a hold of us and uh, we, we uh, will uh, try to answer the best that we can. All right. So thank, thanks a lot, man. Thanks, Dr. Rich. See you soon. The Floods of Justice podcast looks at the issues of our day from a biblical perspective without the labels. Join the conversation online at floodsofjustice.com or find the Reverend Dr. Kevin Riggs on Twitter at Riggs underscore Kevin. Floods of Justice is part of the Tennessee Holler Podcast Network. The Tennessee Holler provides relentless coverage, shining a light on injustices throughout Tennessee. Find them online at www.tnholler.com.